Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And we are here for the first podcast for Hardcore Church Planning for 2016. Woohoo! We should play a soundbite. You got any handy? <laughs> oh, oh, Mitchell. The only one I ever have handy is... Yeah, but that's good enough, right? And hey, we're here with a guest who is a fan. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> is, well, that my I don't, is that my cue to speak? <laughs> no, I don't normally get to introduce the guests. It's usually Pete's job, so I'll just set about? it up for him. But uh, as you can see, Pete is no basketball player. <laughs> I'm not a baller. <laughs> Why don't you so, actually introduce our guest, Peyton, since well, no one has a clue who it is? Well, if you didn't recognize his voice. My mom recognized my voice, so she already knows. Absolutely. So, hey, we are here with uh, J.D. Greer. And uh, I got to say, I am a fan of J.D. Greer. I love his writing. I love his books. Um, Jesus Continued rocked me. That was an excellent book. And he's here today on the show. And he's going to talk to us a little bit about his newest book, and uh, we're really excited about that. J.D., welcome to the show. Oh, thank you guys for having me. All right. One of the uh, questions we always like to start out with is, for the people who don't know you and don't know your story, tell us about how you came to faith. Yeah, so I grew up, um, had the privilege of growing up in a home with a mom and a dad that had basically come to Christ the year that I was born. Uh, not because I was born, but they just moved to a new city and there was a, a new church there that there was a guy that could just, man, really preach the paint off the walls and they got invited and they, and you know, some people get saved and some people get really saved and my parents got really saved and that may not be theologically correct, but whatever they, they, I mean, they really, um, H- having a Baptist background, I understood exactly what you said. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, God got a hold of their hearts and, um, this church is really committed to discipleship. Uh, which I'm very grateful for. And so um, I got to to grow up in, in the home of two people that were just following hard after God. And so at five years old, they, when I was five years old, they, um, you know, spoken the gospel to me. I came to them and said, Hey, I want to, you know, ask Jesus to come into my heart. And they, you know, they, they walked me through the process and that may have been my moment of conversion. I'm, I'm honestly not sure, but I know that when I was about 15, it has been on autopilot for about 10 years. And, you know, I was going through the motions and, and, uh, I remember one of my, um, Sunday school teachers read that thing, uh, that Jesus said in Matthew seven about the, you know, many will say, you know, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. And, I remember him looking out at us and he may have just been frustrated, but you know, he looks out and he says, a bunch of you boys are going to be in that group right there. And then, you know, that was, he just dropped this bomb and then we were supposed to go bowling. Um, and I just, <laughs> I mean, that sent me on this, like, I mean, like probably year long process of saying, how do you know for sure that you're saved? Um, and 
so I struggle with it. I, I basically my junior year of, of high school, I just said, God, you know, I'm done playing games. I just want to, I want to belong to you. And, and, uh, that marked a real turning point where my life began to change. I don't know which one was my conversion point. In fact, I wrote a, a one of, uh, one of my favorite you know things I've ever put into print is uh, stop asking Jesus into your heart, because it's that story of how do you know for sure when you're saved? And I, I don't know when I was saved, but I know that that was a moment when my, when my life changed. Um, I went to school to go into law. And, uh, cause I thought that's how God was calling me to serve him. But while I was there, God gave me a vision for, you know, the 2.2 billion people in the world that had never heard the, na- the name of Jesus. And I said, God, if you'll let me use my, whatever my, you know, life more specifically for getting the gospel to those people, then, then please let me do that. And I felt like the Holy spirit said, go. And that was the, the process that led to seminary, being a missionary for a couple of years, and then being a pastor now that is devoted to sending people. JD, where were you a missionary at? Uh, Southeast Asia. That's um, awesome. A, a Muslim unreached people group there. Wow. Because I noticed you wrote a book, and I didn't, I, you know, I, I wondered if there was like another phantom JD Greer out there somewhere <laughs> breaking the Islam code. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was the first book I ever wrote. And it was basically after two years of being there living among Muslims. And then I actually came back and did my PhD work in Islamic wow. kind of understandings of salvation. And what I realized was that a lot of um, a lot of our approach to Muslims is as if they're Americans and just the ways they think are different. And so it was like getting into into kind of how Muslims think and the questions they ask about God and salvation and put, putting the gospel in ways they can understand. I, I would imagine that is something that many people don't know about you. I didn't know that about you, but uh, this is why I'm not allowed to to actually introduce guests. So uh, a couple of things you may not have known about JD. He already mentioned you've introduced uh, book, every guest Stop asking Jesus in your heart. You, wait, He's wait, got, hey, uh, hey, you've introduced what? every guest we've ever had. Have I? <laughs> yes. Oh, it, it, I'm telling you that two weeks off, Pete. It's <laughs> thrown like, you. It's like the first time I thought you introduced him. What's wrong with me? I always ask you, and I go, who in the world are we interviewing today? Give me some questions. I don't know who they are. <laughs> that just shows you I have no short-term memory nope. whatsoever. <laughs> He's, he, but you, you broke my flow. See, now I'm going to be insecure next time I actually do it. He's also written gospel. He's written a new book called Gaining by Losing. We're going to talk to him a little bit about that. And he is a sending pastor. He is a pastor of a church in Durham. And uh, it's doing very well. It's planted lots of churches. And uh, JD, um, tell us how you got. I mean, obviously you're you're a missionary, um, and I, I have a theory that the best senders uh, are frustrated missionaries. So, uh, told me, tell me a little bit about how you got into church planting. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I was um, called into ministry by God. Called me to the mission field. And I feel like God never released that call to the mission field um, when I became a pastor. And, um, you know, in God's kind of providence, he put me in a city where uh, there are in a 50 mile radius of our church are 120,000 college students. And most of them, you know, um, you know, we see a lot of them come to faith in Christ and a lot of them say, how can my life you know, count for what God's doing in the world? And so we've tried to put a vision out in front of all of them. And that is whatever you're good at, do it well to the glory of God. And then do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Um, God might have made you good as a dentist, a contractor, a lawyer. Um, you know, why not let the kingdom of God be the largest and weightiest factor in where you choose to pursue your career? Um, that's a vision that's really caught on in our church. And so every year we, um, you know, our goal is to plant a thousand churches in 
uh, our generation, which I'm saying I'll by 2050. Um, and uh, some of those are going to be domestic. We, we Right now, we're about four domestic ones a year, and then a lot of them will be international. And what we do is we just we bring on four domestic planters, and we tell them, like, here's a headhunting license. Recruit as many of our people to go with you as you can. And a lot of the teams that go are college graduates, not exclusively, but I'd say that's probably 60 or 70 percent of every team that goes. Mm-hmm. And there's like, look, I mean, you got to get a job somewhere. So why not, you know, why not let your choice of career be influenced by where God's going to do something? And that's sort of been the, I guess, the secret sauce of it. Um, actually getting us there where we valued that and we're willing to give away a lot of our people and our resources was it was kind of a painful um, and in some ways humiliating process. Because when I first became a pastor, my goal was you know, pretty much what every young, ambitious pastor is, is I wanted to grow a great big church for the glory of God. You know, every pastor wants a, um, a pretty, you know, uh, pretty little wife and a great big church. Um, you know, I, I've heard that they often end up with a pretty little, pretty little church and well, I'll let you complete that, but, um, you know, they, uh, my that goal was wise, very wise, very wise. <laughs> my goal was to, you know, just have a huge church to make a big difference, but um, you know, a couple of things happened that really you know, God used to put on display my heart. Um, one of them was, it was one afternoon I was praying for, um, our city that God would, I mean, just really send an awakening into Raleigh, Durham area, like the kind you'd write about in a history book. And, um, in the middle of this prayer, it was one of those moments where the Holy spirit, like ask a question that isn't audible, but it, it might as well have been audible because it was very clear the Holy Spirit said, okay, what if I, what if I say yes to this prayer? And what if I pour out an awakening on this city? But what if I don't use your church to do it? What if your church, you know, just kind of stays what it is and, and your friend's church down the road, they're the ones that grow and get all the attention. You still want me to do it. And man, you know, Peyton, I'd love to, I know the right answer to that question. I, I know I'd, oh yes, Lord, you must increase and I must decrease. I know that's what you're supposed to say, but that, that wasn't the real answer. The real answer was no, I'm not okay with it. And I, you know, I realized God you know, kind of revealed to me that um, all these times that I've been saying thy kingdom come, what I really meant was my kingdom come. Yeah. And I was wanting the church to grow and succeed so that my kingdom could grow and succeed. And you say, well, how does that connect to planting? Um, you know, when we began to say, I, I actually stood up in front of our church and, and sort of confessed that and said, I, I feel like I've, I've led you wrongly and I, I repent and I need you to, you know, we need to go not any huge mission direction, different direction, but just we need to rethink what we're trying to do. And that's when God began to give us the vision that we could spend it more by, um, you know, seeing leaders raised up and planted than we could just gathering in and counting. If you study, you know, the church in the book of Acts, the greatness of the church, um, whether it's in Acts or in Jesus's promises that he gives us in the gospels, it's never, they're never about gathering and counting. They're always about raising up and sending. The Holy yeah. Spirit was given so that we can empower new leaders. And so, so, so between the death of my kingdom or this, this devotion to my kingdom and between this believing what Jesus said about the greatness of the church, that's what set us onto this, this path. That's awesome, man. It's awesome. Your, uh, your new book, JD, Gaining by Losing, Why the Future Belongs to Churches That Send. Give us a little uh, overview of that book. And what caused you to to write it? Yeah, so um, a lot of it, uh, what caused me to write it is seeing um, how much fruit God has given to our church through the raising up of leaders and planting of churches. I, uh, 
you know, it's, it's, it's like the principle that the whole title comes from the principle that Jesus taught with the seed that, you know, it's only when the seed goes into the ground and dies that it, um, that it begins to multiply. Um, when you have a seed, most seeds you can grind up for food and you can eat it yourself. But if you plant it into the ground, you actually, you know, release your, um, your, 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 your relinquishing your abilities to use it for your, yourself, your, you're kind of turning it over to the earth, but you know, the, the positive thing is it can come back a hundred times more than it you know was when you had it. And most of us pastors know how to teach that to our people regarding their money. You know, we're like, Hey, you know, give, give this money to God and he'll multiply it. But, um, my question is why aren't we doing it with our leaders and why aren't we doing it with our resources? Why is it that we are trying to hold on to everything and say, Hey, success is all about growing. It's all about counting. This is, let's celebrate how big we are. Um, if you believe what the you know Jesus says about the church, the greatness of the church is not in its seating capacity, but in in its sending capacity, mm. which you know ties into what I said a minute ago um, about the promises, all the promises that Jesus gave about about the Holy Spirit. You know, he 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 said things like, "Greater works than I've done, you will do." All right. So, I mean, just think about that promise for a minute. How could anything we do ever be greater than Jesus? I mean, even if you take the miracles off the table, who's preached a greater sermon than Jesus? Who is you know prayed with greater insight into the mind of God? Who is counseled with greater clarity mm-hmm. in the people's hearts? There's no way what we do could be greater. The only way it could be greater is if it's greater in extent. And the way that it's greater in extent is when the Holy Spirit coming upon um, the church, uh, when other leaders are raised up and sent out, the collective impact is greater than if you know the Holy Spirit just kind of camped on one person. The way we we pastor mega churches, and I'm not a mega church hater. I mean, you alluded to this a minute ago. Our church is, you know, a mega church, but um, the the way that we celebrate success in mega churches turns that principle on its head. Yeah, because we talk about God's power being on the ones who gather and count, but it really, in the long term, is on those who raise up and send out. I like that a lot, man, and I like the fact that you're noticing that kind of kingdom principle in play. Um, as you're sacrificing your best to go right. out and plant. And and I think, you know, for our church planners out there that are listening, you're thinking, man, I only have a few people. You know, I, I only have a small number. And, and, and what goes against what defies logic is this kingdom principle. Most kingdom principles seem, you know, kind of kind of like they're they're the opposite of how they should be. Um, but, but the reality is that as you, um, as you look at most churches, the reason most churches die, shrink or stagnate is because they stay the same, right? When you are constantly sending people out, that means things are constantly shifting. Leadership positions are opening. People are moving up. People are stepping into places that they weren't before. The DNA is getting filtered down, uh, from the leaders to the people. People are- that's you. I don't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to, what, what you're saying, I totally agree with. And the way that we've kind of said in our church is pushing out leaders creates more leaders. Yeah. And there's a supernatural reason for that and a natural reason. The supernatural reason is you can't outgive God. Yeah. And it's kind of like you, to go back to the money illustration, you know, when I have somebody coming, you know, to me and they sit down in my office and say, you know, pastor, I, I barely make enough money to take care of myself. Should I? you know, should I give to God first? Should I give him the first fruits? My answer is never. Well, if you got enough money sitting around at the end of the month, you can't figure out what to do with it. Give that to God. Yeah. The answer is always, man, you give to God first and let him 
Well, it's the same thing with our people. We don't give to God because we have too many people. We give to God because he, he should get our first and our best. And yeah. so just like the little boy at the five loaves and two fish, when we take that and we release it, whether we got a church of seven or 7,000, you're going to see God multiply the harvest. The natural reason, and this is what you alluded to, is that when you um, become a leader who is focused on raising up other leaders, it becomes a very attractive leadership environment. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of secular authors have written about this. Liz Wiseman has a book called Multipliers. Jim Collins talks a lot about this, um, that it's those leaders that are open-handed with their leadership culture. They're the ones who attract other leaders. Uh, Liz Wiseman, in her book, uses uh, the example of um, Jack Welch, you know, legendary CEO at, at, at GE, who, um, you know, at, at, at like the, the peak of his career, had an absurd number of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies that had at one time been on his staff. And the question was, well, did he, did he, did he not know how to keep talent? And it was, it's actually the opposite. The, um, the real reason that it happened is um, for every one that he would release and say, yeah, man, I, you know, I want you to go on and succeed. Um, three more would pop up in their place mm. because they're like, that's the place where you're not being used as cogs in a machine. You're being developed as a leader. That's what we've seen for every one of our guys that we send out. And it's painful. Uh, it, it is painful. God raises up a number, uh, uh, um, three more in their place. Um, I, I was sitting with our, um, our planners last year. And um, it was like our last meeting, you know, because we spent a year with them, the, the four that were going to go out and plant. And I said, all right, you know, let's let's hear the report. And they were telling me about all the stuff. And then they get to the part where they're going to talk about who they've recruited. And they start going through and they start talking to the names. And, and, and man, I'm hearing the names of like musicians. I'm hearing the names of friends, elders, big givers. Not that I know who gives what, but big givers. And, I'm, you know, I had this moment of like panic. And I'm like, you know, do we really believe this? And I literally took my hands while these guys are talking. They couldn't see it. I, I took my hands and I, 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 I stretched them out under the table. And I'm like, God, this is your church, not mine. And if you're going to take this seed and, and, and put it into the ground and multiply it, then, man, you can do that because I believe that we can't outgive you. This earlier this year, I stood with 153 of our members who stood on our stage leaving. The kind of people that volunteer to go on a church plant are not the kind that are just on the sidelines. These are yeah. key volunteers. Yeah. But God multiplies the, the harvest. Yeah. And I think it creates a, 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 an interesting dynamic. There's an excitement, you know, with, with those people. And I'm on, I'm trying to think, I think we're on third church plant out over at, uh, at, at Refuge. Um, and we're a smaller church. I mean, we're an inner city church in Long Beach. And we've noticed the same kingdom principle, like the people we have right now, two years ago, no one would have looked at them and said, man, these guys are, are leaders. And yet right now they're animals. Mm. You know, they are lay people that everyone else would have passed up that are now these empowered leaders. And I think when you look at the 12, really, if you're honest, you're kind of looking at the same dynamics, someone that any religious leadership expert would have passed over. Mm. Um, how, how can a church planter as he's planning a church, JD, how can he put these principles into work? How can he practically, let's say his first year, second year church planning, how can he practically take the principles from gaining to lose and apply them to be a sending church, uh, early on? So I think that probably the biggest thing is from the beginning, teach that the ministry belongs to the person in the pew 
not that person in the pulpit. That God, I mean, we all know Ephesians 4.11, God has equipped us to be, you know, uh, equip pastor. He's called pastors to be equippers of the saints. I tell our church all the time that what that means is that when I became a pastor, I left the ministry because the saints do the ministry and I'm, I'm kind of in the background, you know, in the book, the gaining by losing book, I use the the illustration of um, an aircraft carrier that, you know, a lot of churches, a lot of churches, mega churches want to be a cruise ship, you know, just kind of the best amenities for Christians. Um, a lot of churches are a little bit more biblical with the idea that they're not a cruise ship, they're a battleship. We were here to do battle. But I think the best metaphor is aircraft carrier. Uh, my grandfather served on an aircraft carrier in World War II, and he used to always tell me, he'd be like, son, the last place an aircraft carrier wants to do battle is anywhere near the aircraft carrier. It wants to take the battle. So we try to teach our people, um, you know, like this aircraft carrier, we're here to equip you to carry the mission, the battle to where God wants to do it. Um, you know, in the book of Acts, 39 out of 40 miracles, 39 out of 40 happen outside the church, which means that if you want to talk about where the power of God manifested itself in the book of Acts, it wasn't just through the pastor in the pulpit. It was through ordinary people in the marketplace and in the community. When most of our churches talk about when they celebrate the power of God, it's always about the pastor's sermon or God's provision in the capital campaign and praise God for those things. But the real places we ought to be celebrating are people you know, that are leading ministries and as we're catalyzing them. Um, we put a lot of emphasis in our church on, um, we have three categories of ministry, own, catalyze, and bless. Um, own are traditional ministries that we at the church do and we get volunteers to staff. So we have several. I mean, every church needs that. Bless is on the other end of the perspective, um, the, the spectrum. And that's when you're basically, you know, just encouraging your people to go out and, and do, you know, good wherever they are and share the gospel. The middle category is where we put most of our freight in the last few years to the greatest effect. And that is we are there to catalyze, which means that we don't want to own it, but nor are we just, you know, kind of saying, you know, kind of laissez-faire, go, go to it. What we're doing is we're saying, how can we get behind you as a church and help you envision and, and grow and accomplish? And what's happened with that is that's developed this culture where people are beginning to envision and lead, and it's created this kind of healthy vacuum that pulls up into it, you know, church leaders and planters. So one is just developing that idea that ministry happens through ordinary people as they're raised up and sent out. The other one um, I would say is, you know, there is a time I get it when you, um, when it's, you probably can't be planting a church. I mean, I understand if you're, you know, got a core group of eight that, you know, it's might not be the, the time, but it's probably going to be there earlier than you think. Mm. And you want to build these principles in from the very beginning that God didn't call you to be, um, you know, a reservoir. He called you to be a, a channel. And so from the very beginning, when we, we send out our planters, we're like, you know, go ahead and already have a couple places overseas that you're going to lock onto and go ahead. And if you can't plant a church by yourself yet, go ahead and participate with us in one of ours and hmm. send, send, send a couple, you know, and $10,000 next year, you know, and, and that's, so I'd say start with it from the very beginning. Awesome. So tell us, how do you train your teams as you're constantly sending out all these church planters or, or, you know, what does that look like as far as like training and, and teaching them or guiding them, giving them principles, things like that? Yeah. One of the things that I actually talk about this in the book um, that we've, we call them plumb lines, which are kind of like a North star, a plumb line is, you know, lines everything up when you're building. And one of our plumb lines at the church is every pastor is our missions pastor. Mm. Uh, which means that every single, no matter who they're ministering to, has a role in planting and multiplication. Um, and we try to give you one example, our children's pastor. 
uh, our church is a, a Baptist church. And so, you know, we don't do baby baptisms, but we do baby dedications. And, you know, what we decided was that, you know, really the baby already belongs to God. So we don't need to dedicate the baby to God. This is really a time where the parents are being commissioned. Mm. And so, you know, we, we do it out of Psalm 127, which is basically like, you know, arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior. Warrior, That's what children are. And, and these arrows have been given to you by God to use, you know, the extension of his mission. They can go places you can't go. And your role is to pull them back on the bowstring of faith and launch them. And what we have them do um, is make a covenant and say, you know, I'm going to raise my child to be a part of the mission of God. And when my God calls my child, if it's to Thailand, Afghanistan, or to Denver, Colorado, 21 years old, as a parent, I'm not going to stand in their way. Mm. I'm going to celebrate it because this is why God gave it. And so from the very beginning, we're trying to instill, you know, everybody's like, this is about multiplication. Um, our, you know, our, our student ministry is really involved in this um, where they, um, you know, when they, they ask for one summer in high school that you actually go and live on one of our church planning projects and just you know, be a part of the ministry there. Then we ask them when when our students go off to college, we're like, will you give us one summer and then your first two years? The one summer we ask for is you spend two months um, basically um, living on one, you know, either in an internship at the church as a part of the church planning process or you live with one of our church plants. And then two years, we ask everybody to give the first two years that they graduate um, to, you know, living on one of these church plants. Um, it is, it's really like, you know, the, the numbers of, of, of people that we have doing it, um, increase every year. Uh, this year we got, you know, a couple dozen high school students that are living over overseas. Um, you know, we have about probably about 350 college students in the summer thing, and then we'll have about 150 or so go, um, this next year on, on one of the church plants. And That's so everything awesome. is kind of engineered to, to sending. That's awesome. And uh, real, real quickly, you know, a, a reference back, there's a meme going around with Charles Spurgeon that says, we don't wet babies here. Babies wet themselves. And uh, we thought that was great. So as, as a fellow Baptist, back to you, thought I'd share that. But um, That's awesome. Yeah, I'm married to Presbyterian. And so, you know, when, when we got married, I, I baptized her, made her quit drinking and told her it was all predestined to happen. Nice. Well, I served in a Presbyterian. I was in Lloyd Jones's church. I've got his pulpit Bible here to prove it. But wow. uh, I went from there. But they were known as Welsh Calvinistic Methodists, just to confuse things. Huh. And then I went from yeah. there to a Reformed Baptist church. So uh, I've done that dance, but I didn't marry anyone along the way at either church. I actually brought my same wife with me. But uh, but hey, man, I I, I want to ask you a very deep question. And that is um, in regards to our first face-to-face meeting, which we met in the green room over at the uh, Sin National Conference. And as I walked in the room, I knew you were a fellow Jedi because I believe you said you felt a great disturbance in the force at that I time as I walked but in. But it's still good in you. That's what I, I told you. I, they're still good in you. Well, it actually made me, you know, kind of want to throw Ed Stetzer down a hole and, you know, save you, um, at that moment. Actually, he wasn't in the room. I think, I think Platt was, it might've been Platt. I want to throw it down a hole. And I like both those guys, but it brought out those deep star Wars feelings in me. So, Hey, um, real quickly, new movie out as a fan. I got to ask you, what'd you think? Man, I, I loved it. I, I like, it was certainly better than the first three. Well, like four, five and six were awesome. One, two and three, you know, had their struggles. Everybody talks about, um, I feel like seven had to kind of mojo back a little bit. I did think the act, the characters were a little like flat and not very deep or complex. Um, And yeah, I don't want to say anything that would be a spoiler, but I I had some, there was all these things in the movie. Like 
how did he suddenly get that great with a with a lightsaber? And who left the keys in the Millennium Falcon? <laughs> like, how do you steal it? Just walk in and yeah. right, like who left the keys in? And then and then and then and then in the entire universe, you're going to run into Han Solo just randomly. Who owned the Millennium Falcon? It's just it was like I was like all right, I felt like they could have probably done a little bit of writing, but overall, I was pleased. Yeah, he was tracking the Millennium Falcon. That part, the other two points, I give you, but he said he had that tracking on for like decades oh, on okay. the ship. So he he went right to it when it when it hit space. But I agree. Why would you leave the keys in it? Right? Someone had to have stolen that thing before then, right? Right. right. I think Chewie should have had a little bit more gray in his muzzle. I'm still going back to that. I could feel his age, though. It might have been the way that Prowse moves because he's got uh, Parkinson's. They all put on some pounds. There's no doubt they put on the pounds. They, they were, yeah, they were rounded. Ageless. Ageless. It's true. He's ageless. Yeah. I kind of thought the big surprise was going to be that at some climatic point, Chewie was going to shed the costume and it was actually Princess <laughs> Leia has been Chewie the whole time. <laughs> that would explain some things, indeed. <laughs> well, of course, we got our, our final question we always like to ask, and uh, – so the question is simply this. If you were to get into a physical fist fight with Louis Giglio, who would win? He, I, I, I'm, I'm going to put my money on me. Yeah, yeah, baby. Nice. Well, nice. That's really where my money's at. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, Louis, you know, out preach me, out theologize me, but you know, I mean, the guy's, you know, he's not a spring chicken anymore. So I think he's still, I think he's still, you know, spry and I think he's, but you know, I think I'd take it. He's working out. He still thinks he got it. But I I think as a young guy, you might you might come up and, you know, give him what for. Yeah, that's right. Make sure you tell him that because he would really appreciate hearing that. Yeah. Upper uppercut. You yeah. I, I picture you giving him an uppercut when he's not looking. Boom. I any love it. any secret weapons? Any secret moves you'd you'd bust out on him? Um well I mean I, of course uh, first I would try the force to see if I could you know, sort of knock him back a little bit. Nice. But if that didn't work, I'd try a Jedi mind trick. And if that didn't work, then I would just kind of go for the shins. Yeah, that's <laughs> cool. Because he would probably give you that wicked emperor laugh, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he'd be like, ha, 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 you're pitiful, you know, attempt, you know, strike me down and all these, you know, all that stuff. Because he's into Star Wars. So, you know, we're one step away from this, you know. That's right. That's right. So awesome. Well, hey, man, big respect for you. Um, you got some chops, man. Did not know you were an ex-missionary in Southeast Asia. Some awesome stuff going on there. So you've seen some action, been in the trenches. Uh, pick up anything that this guy writes. He is a fantastic author. His latest book is Gaining by Losing, and you can pick it up at Amazon or wherever books are sold. JD, thanks for being on the show, man. Thank you guys so much for having me. I love what you do. Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.